Hey there, Ralph Garman here. Thanks so much for checking out this free Monday edition of The Ralph Report. If you like what you hear, do me a favor. Subscribe to The Ralph Report so we can put some fun in your ears five days a week. And we're not just here on Mondays. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as well. And you can listen for as little as $3 a month. So subscribe today so you don't miss out on any of the fun. Go to patreon.com slash The Ralph Report and sign up. Welcome to The Ralph Report with Ralph Garman. Hello there, boys and girls. Welcome to The Ralph Report for a Monday. It is November 5th. Can't believe we're already in November. I just, I just can't fathom that the time is going by so quickly. It's going to be Thanksgiving before you blink. I know. It's crazy. Welcome to The Ralph Report. Thanks so much for joining us on this Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. I'm your old podcast pal, Ralph Garman. Sitting across from me here in the Batcave is the vice host himself, Mr. Eddie Pence. Hey, everybody. Sorry, Eddie, about your yes. uh, Washington Redskins oh. this weekend. Well, you can't get in a shootout with Alex Smith. That's the problem. Eddie and I were just talking a little football, and uh, I, I guaranteed it. No one took me up on it, but I guaranteed the Eagles would not lose this weekend. That's a safe and, bet. Uh, they didn't. Bite the prognosticator. Yes. Next weekend, of course, the dreaded Dallas Cowboys. So uh, I'm going to start gnashing my teeth and, and punching that star this morning just to get myself worked up for it. But thanks to everybody joining us for the Ralph Report this morning. It's, um, well... What? What? What's the matter? I'm just, I'm frustrated. I had a, I had a frustrating weekend and I'm worked up. And I don't want to do this segment just because someone called in last week and said, why don't you do that three things I learned oh, yeah. this weekend so anymore? You almost don't want to do it out of spite? Right, yes. Because she said, oh, you don't do it anymore. And I was like, I'll do it when I goddamn well please. You can't live but out I, of spite. But I, I learned some stuff over well, you, the weekend. You can't live out of spite. You I can't. can't. So I think we're going to have to uh, go back to that segment <laughs> that we talked about last week. Uh, things that I learned over the weekend. In fact, the top three things I learned this weekend. The top three things I learned this weekend. Number three. All right. I learned that we need some sort of mechanism in place that can limit the number of lawsuits that can happen in this country. Like per, like a person has a cap on the amount of lawsuits Absolutely. they can bring? You get like three. Get lifetime. Three. It's like challenges in the NFL. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and if you lose one, then you lose... So you lose the other you one. You lose the other one. That would yeah. be a good... You lose your first lawsuit, you can't make a second yeah. one. Yeah. You better go in there knowing <laughs> what the fuck you're talking That's about. That's a solid idea. Because I keep reading about these bogus lawsuits and how our courts are clogged with just pointless litigation. And most of it is just people not taking goddamn responsibility for their lives. And it struck me when I read this story about David Goldberg, who is a 73-year-old man from New York City, who has filed a lawsuit against the Hershey Candy Company. Have you heard about this? I've, I've heard about Hershey, but well, what I know do, that. Have you heard about Hershey? this lawsuit? What did Hershey do to him? Well, apparently a lot. He has a weakness, Eddie, for black licorice. He oh. loves black licorice. Okay. Now, gross. I know you're not a black That's licorice gross, fan. That's gross, but okay. I happen to be a black licorice I, fan. I, that's disgusting. So I can understand his uh, predisposition for that candy. But <laughs> he is now suing Hershey because they are the parent company of the Twizzler, you see. Okay. And David Goldberg, 73 years old, is suing them because now he has, he claims he has a heart condition. He is a healthy individual who is not obese, according to the papers that he filed, who has never suffered any heart condition. But in October 2017, the Food and Drug Administration did issue a warning 
that glycerzin, which is a naturally occurring ingredient in black licorice, could put older adults at risk for heart issues. Okay. The FDA stated in 2017, if you're 40 years old or older, eating two ounces of black licorice a day for at least two weeks could land you in the hospital with an irregular heart rhythm or arrhythmia. Wow. Now, two ounces of black licorice a day for two weeks, I think, is a is a lot of black That's licorice. That's a lot of that. You really like black licorice. It's too much black licorice, I would, I would go out on a limb and say. Well, our man David Goldberg, the 73-year-old from New York City, he eats at least, he says, one standard size bag of black licorice Twizzlers per week. Uh, does he poop? And has been doing it for years, Oh, my by God, the that's got to bind you up. Well, well, oh, my God. Or even worse, he's got a heart condition now. <laughs> he's, he said that he now has arrhythmia, and there were no warnings of the health risks on the package of the black licorice Twizzlers that, that could lead to a heart condition. And now he is suing uh, the the Hershey company for an undisclosed amount of money because he claims that it's their fault that he's got a heart problem. Now he went into the hospital and they said, well, stop eating black licorice. <laughs> and so he stopped. He said, but the problem still hasn't gone away. The condition is not improved. I bet you he's still eating black licorice. That's what I think. If he's eating a, pa- uh, a bag he, a day for years, you're not going cold. Turkey you're not on. giving up no. on your black licorice. <laughs> no, you're not. It's under your pillow. But I love Emily Clark, who is a registered nurse who works at the university hospital in Newark, New York, was interviewed by uh, this article, and said, the ingredients are always listed on the package so that consumers are aware of what they're putting into their bodies. It's our responsibility to research those ingredients, educate ourselves, and understand healthy food choices. Yeah. That is the, that's the, in a nutshell, if you're eating a giant bag of, cho- of, uh, of uh, Twizzlers every week, <laughs> that's on you. You're making a poor food choice. If you eat a giant bag of anything all week, every week, you're eventually going to suffer from some sort of disease caused by whatever you're eating. I would think that. I would think any candy. Any processed food, I would imagine. bag of candy, the same bag of candy for years on end yeah. every week, you're, you're, you're putting yourself at risk for something. That's common sense. I don't think now at 73 years old you get to turn around and blame the candy no. manufacturer. No. And I hate these lawsuits where people just will not take responsibility for their behavior. Yeah. And they say, well, you know what? I smoked cigarettes for 40 <laughs> years and now I got lung cancer. I, I, I'm going to sue Marlboro. No, fuck you. You don't oh, get to do that. You know I'm sorry I'm... for you. I feel for you and I wish you well, but you don't get monetary compensation for your indulgences. No. For your own personal negligence, you should not be rewarded. And I know the last thing anybody wants is more government intervention into our lives, but I feel there should be some sort of uh, board that you go in front of and you say, this is the lawsuit I, I'm prepared to file, yeah. and I think I've got a real case here. And they review it and they go, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> a lawsuit There panel. should be a get the fuck out of here panel. People who, people who evaluate your lawsuit and say, you ate a goddamn bag of black licorice Twizzlers every week yeah. for years. Yeah. And now you got problems and you want to sue Hershey's? Get the fuck there, out There of should here. be some sort of test that you have to take in order to, you know, some sort of litmus test that decides whether or not you can. Man, there's got to be some gatekeeping because it didn't used to be this way. People used to say, well, that was on me. I should not have done that. And now I'm, I've made my bed. I'm going to lie in it. But no one sees that in no, the world They've all anymore. turned into a little Sally uh, from Great Pumpkin. I'm going to sue because I spent the night in the pumpkin patch. Everybody blames everyone else for all of their problems yeah. and it's just it's it's chapping my ass yeah. 
So that was uh, the number three thing I learned this week. And then... Number two. Number two. Man, I don't know if you uh, saw what was going on yesterday with me and Twitter, but I... I, I almost, saw you step in a little pile I almost of... melted down. Pile of Dr. Who I made the mistake <laughs> of, of offering up a, what I thought was a very mild compliment to the former showrunner of Doctor Who, and I happen to be a Doctor Who fan. There's a guy named Stephen Moffat who was running the show for the past eight years, and he, he stepped down recently, and there's a brand new showrunner and a brand new doctor on the show. So anyway, I'm a fan of the show, so I'm still watching the show, and Jodie Whittaker is the new doctor, and there's a lot of brouhaha about this new season because she's the first female doctor, so there's a certain amount of pressure involved, I guess, for them, and that I think they're doing a great job. I think she is charming as hell, and I think the acting is good. I have no problem with the casting, but I found the story so far this season a little, um, I guess, just not mundane, but a little standard. It feels like a little standard sci-fi fair right. to me. It seems like standard fair. There was a, a time travel episode where they went back and interacted with Rosa Parks, who was sitting on the back of the bus, yeah. and they had a recent one where they were dealing with giant spiders and stuff, and it all was fine, right? but it felt to me like an episode of Quantum Leap, or an episode of Sliders, or like any standard like science Who. fiction fair on television, okay. which is, that's okay. But it's their first season, they're finding their way, perhaps. So I went on Twitter and I said... It's dawning on me as I watch this that the real star of Doctor Who, and I was trying to make an allusion to the fact that it doesn't matter who was what actor was playing the Doctor. Right. The real star for me was the Stephen Moffat cat, who was a writer at the beginning of the reboot of the franchise, and then took over as the showrunner right. for eight years. Well, I had no idea. <laughs> well, I mean, you're familiar with fanboys, like rabid fanboys, and you're but also. <laughs> I, but I thought if I was putting a hot take out there, that I would expect to get repercussions. But I, by saying that, what more mild compliment could I give that guy by saying, you know what, I kind of miss that guy who used to run the show before because he, he, he basically what I was saying was he has a very inventive mind and it was uniquely Doctor Who stuff. This stuff feels a little pedestrian to me. That's basically what I was saying. That is... <laughs> but you're... That is, is that... You're not, you're not new to Twitter, right? You just you you didn't join but yesterday. I didn't did even you? say it's now it's shit. And you before it to. was great, I was just saying I'm I have a I have a mild appreciation for what it was before, but I'm still watching and enjoying it. Basically, you, you dipped a slightly critical toe into the pool of fanboydom, but and that's what and, happens. And I guess the problem is I'm not really a person of that ilk i don't travel in those circles yeah. i'm not a hardcore star wars guy i'm not a hardcore star trek guy i don't dabble in those in those fandoms very much yeah. and so i guess i was ill prepared for <laughs> i certainly did wasn't aware of the vicious hatred that is held for Stephen moffat i couldn't I, I still can't quite understand it because this guy ran the show for eight years at its Peak, peak popularity yeah, yeah. in terms of ratings and, and awareness and acclaim. He was the guy. I was like, well, Russell T. Davis, who apparently is the guy who rebooted the thing in the first thing for the first three or four years. He was the guy. And just, it was just an, uh, a never-ending no, onslaught. You can't, you can't go into Twitter but, with anything critical. And I kept saying, what a bunch of assholes. I started just to call them out on it. I saw. <laughs> and I just want to read this last tweet that I got before I finally just said, well, I got to get out just of this Pull a ripcord. <laughs> this came from at Toxie M, who goes by Toxie Masculinity. 
by the way. Oh. That's his Twitter name, right. which is a fucking red flag that's if ever I saw pretty one. Pretty gross. He's some incel that's you oh, know has got some issues time. down there in the basement. Big time. So he wrote, Imagine if you will, you watch everything you love fester and rot while those with louder voices than yours praise the destruction of all you hold dear. Can you understand their positions now? He said about the Doctor Who fans that I was complaining about. Wow. If everything you love... (laughs) Everything you hold dear. Everything you hold dear is a television program. The problems that you have are so far above and beyond what's going on on Twitter that I can't even begin to enumerate them. It's insanity. And I wrote back, for fuck's sake... It's a television show. (laughs) And I understand better than most about feeling passionate about a television show. Look around this room. We're we're literally surrounded by your television show. It is the personification of fandom. (laughs) My life. In this room particularly. And I get that. And even with my passion for this television program, do you think at any day of my life I ever would have said, it's all I hold dear, (laughs) and anyone who doesn't like this version of Batman... Because it's festering and rotting inside. I mean, I, I'm lucky enough to have had lovers and friends and a child. A, and well, not even now, but even at my even at then. the peak of my fandom, I was having sex and and going out and drinking with friends and playing sports, and I was engaging in a life that was fairly full. Yeah, but to say that that's all, all you, you hold dear. You have to read your own tweets and go, oh my God, I should be panicked now. But there's someone in the world. Like, there's several thousands, there's millions of people people in the world like that. that. And it made me both so deeply sad for him and also very, very angry (laughs) because they have ruined the ability to engage in casual conversation about fun things anymore. I can't go on Twitter now and say, Wow, I I really didn't care for this thing, and I and here's the thing: the difference between me is I go out and say I didn't like this or I really like that, and I think as long as you couch it in the eye, yeah, you're fine. But the people who start saying he was the worst thing that ever happened to that show, and all that, all those eight years were shit, and all the first four years before that were brilliant, you can't start determining just randomly what is quality and what is not quality yeah. when it comes down to a question of taste or opinion right no exactly can't we have casual conversations about entertainment anymore i got in the same arguments about last jedi i was defending it and people were going after me and i was like i just i pulled out i'm like there's no reason to do this because i'm just defending (sighs) it's it's ridiculous people are insane insane and then uh finally the uh number one number one thing i learned this weekend was uh, my kid loves uh the holiday music in the sense that any holiday music. If you have DirecTV, you can go into the 800s and they've got a whole uh, Seasons, cornucopia yeah. of channels that you can listen to. It's 24-hour music. It's like a jukebox. Mm-hmm. And you can make your choice. You get smooth jazz. You got spa music. You got soul. You got R&B. You got this 70s, 80s, 90s. There's a great selection of genres of music. And one of them is the Sounds of the Season yeah. channel. Mm-hmm. And that provides you with whatever holiday is currently going on during Halloween time. It was uh, the Ghostbusters theme yeah. and Thriller and Nightmare stuff like that. Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah. very entertaining, especially if you have a party or something like that. It's it's at the ready. So we had it on for a party. We had a Halloween party here with the, my, my wife's, uh, well, our kids' friends and the parents of those friends came yeah. over and we had a good time. So we were using that as the soundtrack for our party. 
So that channel was left on. So when my kid turned on the television the day after it's Christmas music, after Halloween, it straight up Christmas it's Christmas music, <laughs> and she was thrilled oh, beyond no. words, and she now, that's all she wants to listen to oh. is the Christmas music channel for the next two months. We're going to get the Christmas music channel, which, look, admittedly, it grates on me a little bit. I, I'm good for about two weeks out. That's my Christmas music uh, window of appreciation. From maybe mid December through the yeah. new year, I can that's take when it, I like it. I can take it from like end of Thanksgiving on. I can take it for about a month. Regardless, yeah. I'm screwed. I got I got two solid months coming <laughs> yeah, up, and split. that's fine because it makes my child happy, and that's the only thing that really matters to me. <laughs> but one thing chaps my ass, and it happens every year, and I realized I haven't talked about it, and I learned it again this weekend. This goddamn this is unacceptable. It's not a Christmas song. Stop it. Stop it. The world. Stop playing this as a Christmas song because it's not. That's the goddamn Peanuts theme. That's the theme for Peanuts. Yeah, it's not Christmas. And they put it on the Christmas channel every year and say, oh, here's another Christmas classic, a Christmas favorite. It's not a fucking Christmas song, not even a little bit. (laughs) Not even a little bit. It happens to be the theme song of the special... It, it, you're a good, yeah. you're a good Christmas Charlie like, Brown or whatever the Merry hell that's Christmas, called. Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. Yes, not, it's a good Christmas. <laughs> no, Charlie you're Brown good, Christmas. What's it called? Christmas. Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. I think it's not called Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown, is it? Whatever it's, it's called, whatever. we'll find out. Whatever it's called, <laughs> somebody else. Do we us. have to pause the show? No. All right, please hold. We appreciate your business. Please continue to hold. And we're back. <laughs> And guess what? It's wrong. Yeah. Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown is not, no, in fact, not the title of I should of be ashamed because my son is a huge Charlie Brown fan. I it's called A Charlie Brown Christmas. Charlie Brown Christmas. And there is a Christmas song in that special. Right? Christmas yeah. Time is Here is the name of this song. The Vince... Uh, Vince... <laughs> oh, here we go again. <laughs> the jazz guy. Vince something is his name. It begins with a G. Vince Garaldi. Vince Garaldi Trio. Vince Garaldi Trio. Yeah. Yeah, So that is a Christmas song that comes from that special. But this is not a goddamn Christmas song. Stop putting on your Christmas channels, Christmas music people. Because you know what else? This is also the theme for It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Yeah. And every other goddamn peanut special that's ever been on television. So stop putting this on as Christmas music. Other... It's like saying that the Magnum P.I. theme is a Christmas <laughs> song because they had a Christmas episode All in the one family. season. Stop it. It's, it's not a goddamn Christmas song. Can we all disagree on that and move forward? I'm not even well, asking you to, to agree, you... which is the right decision about Die Hard not being a Christmas movie. I'm not even fighting that fight anymore. But let me have this one. The goddamn Peanuts theme is not a Christmas well, you song. You should go into Twitter. And say something. Yeah, you're right. And see what happens. That'll settle everything. (laughs) Anyway, those were the top three things I learned this weekend. The top three things I learned this weekend. A lot of frustration this weekend, as if you couldn't tell. (laughs) Glad I got that off my chest. I was holding back. I was like, maybe we shouldn't do this because I was just told by someone that I had to do it again last week. Spite's not a way to live. And I wasn't going to give in to her demands, but boy, that sure felt good. Can't live with spite. Get those off my chest. It is Monday, November 5th. We're going to take a look at the big calendar here on the Batcave wall. 
and see which holidays are associated with November 5th. Are they legitimate? Are they not? We'll let you know with Holiday or Holiday. Holiday or Holiday, please tell me what we celebrate, Ralph Garman. To all our Garmy members in the UK, happy Gunpowder Day or Guy Fawkes Night as it's known or Fireworks Night. There's so many different things for it. Remember, remember. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot, goes the poem. I love that movie. What, V for Vendetta? Yeah, I love yeah. that movie. But even before it was... Well, a, I know it was something before, before it was that. a movie with Natalie it's Portman. All, it's not from all actually, that. there was I just a, love that movie. There was a real story that goes back to the I 1600s, understand. Eddie, that, that had to do with blowing up the House of it, Parliament. But that made me think of the movie, and I yes. said I love that movie. Guy Fawkes Night, if you're not familiar with uh, English history, goes back to 1605 when the Catholics rebelled against King James I because he was not very tolerant when it came to their religious beliefs. Hmm. There was the Church of England, and he thought everyone should follow the Church of England, and the little Catholics said, well, we're going to fix his little red wagon, we're going to blow up the House of Parliament while he's in it. They got a bunch of gunpowder, and they put it underneath the House of Parliament, but unfortunately, well, or fortunately, depending on whose side you're on, I I guess if you like England, then you're happy. Side of religious freedom, you're probably not happy. Um, yeah, they, uh, they foiled that plan and he was in fact caught and his, uh, confidants were also caught and they were charged with treason, but it was back in 1605 and to celebrate the undoing of that treasonous plot, they still fire off fireworks on the evening of uh, November 5th every year to celebrate the, uh, the successful capture of these treasonous traitors. Which I guess is what traitors would be. Treasonous. treasonous. Yes. <laughs> so everybody in the UK tonight, get out your fireworks and have a good time. It's like their Fourth of July. Oh, there's a big fireworks displays they have, and they throw firecrackers, and everybody has a good time blowing stuff up. Which is a funny way to celebrate the fact that you stopped a guy from, from blowing, blowing stuff, stuff up, up. Yeah. in 1605. A little weird. I don't understand it. It's also National Love Your Red Hair Day. All you gingers out there, just let your hair fly. As if you don't every day, but this is one of those days where you can say, look at me, I'm a redhead, and I'm proud, and I'm happy. I think the the stigma of being a redhead is much less now than it's ever been. I think most redheads are probably held in higher esteem now than than a lot of other hair colors. I've never looked at redheads as anything other than like oh wow i think back in the day <laughs> like they were hair. it was sort of uh it was sort they felt sort of like genetic freaks which they are by well, the way they're absolutely genetic freaks yeah, yeah. but that's but what makes if you them look special at the success of uh, like christina hendrix and madman or uh dallas bryce howard yeah. i mean there's a lot of uh, very attractive actresses now rocking the red hair and people seem to yeah. like it my wife that. is a lovely redhead and i've always been attracted to yeah. it Lost my virginity to a redhead. Oh, there you go. So I think I'm... I'm in, Top I've, and bottom? I've been imprinted. The, the carpet match. Oh, the very dreams. much so, yes. A fiery, fiery redhead. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I think I've just been imprinted with a, uh, an appreciation of the redheads. I can't help myself. It's also, coincidentally, Color the World Orange Day. Oh, that ties in nicely. It does. And yet, when you find out why, mm, not so much. Okay. The first Monday in November is dedicated to bringing awareness to, and now wait for this, Complex regional pain syndrome and reflex sympathetic dystrophy. Yeah, that's way different. Yeah, it's very different and pretty much a failure. If they're trying to set aside a day for everyone to talk about that illness. It's not the way to do it. I've, I've never heard of it until this conversation <laughs> we're having right now. So your little color of the world orange that day. doesn't make any sense. Has not made a lick of difference in anyone's world as far as I can tell. So you need a better 
way P- better PR firm. Way better holiday than that. Find something. Uh, find a, a, a celebrity spokesperson yeah. or find some event or put some gunpowder under the House of Parliament or do something. Got, yeah, that gets some noise. You get a movie made about <laughs> You get a little press if you do that. But the complex regional pain syndrome and reflex sympathetic dystrophy? No. Is there a shorter word, a term for it? They, uh, I just C-R-P-S-R-S-D. <laughs> I mean, I can't. Oh, that rolls right. Oh. You've got to come up with a, cl- a cute name or something. You've got to work like, harder. And it sounds awful. I'm sure whatever this syndrome is, awful. is debilitating and needs our our attention and our, our research dollars. But this is dollars. not the way to do it. But your Color of the World Orange Day is a fucking failure, That's people. That's a humongous failure. So if you work with that disease in any way, talk to your boss <laughs> and tell him to get on the stick <laughs> because that's a major loss. Uh, it's also Job Action Day, which sounds really jam-packed with excitement. Well, if you are currently employed or unemployed or just perhaps curious about the current job market, Job Action Day is the day where you're supposed to put your resume together and float some, uh, some interest out there and see if maybe you can change careers or move <laughs> up in a career or get a, get a better career. You can. What if your resume just consists of stand-up comedy clubs mm. and podcasts? And <laughs> then really... you are the color of the world orange day of Job Action Day. Yeah, I don't think you're going anywhere. I'm screwed. But if you have a real job, go out there and see, see who's hiring. And then lastly, you know, we save the uh, food-related holidays for the end because it's always fascinating to see whether Eddie Pence will eat or not eat something. And I I have to say, and I know I've been burned (laughs) with this pronouncement before, but I have to say I think on this day we're all safe and what Eddie's going to say. But I I, I don't want to deprive people the right to play along, so here we go. This food comes from Dutch settlers, goes the old story. They brought to North America such treats as cookies, apple pie, cream pie, cobbler, and the donut. Happy National Donut Day, everyone. You got to love the oh, donut, yeah. right, Eddie? Of course I love the donut. All right. What kind of donut do you like? What's you're your probably going to get mad at me for that part. The next part, <laughs> when, you get to the, when you get to the nuts and bolts of it, you're going to hate me. The but donuts and dough bolts, <laughs> if you will. They go into the donuts and donut bolts. But uh, yeah, I can't even what do you, say it. What do you like to eat? Which is your favorite? I just like a good old... Either, like, of course, the Krispy Kreme. The glazed, the glazed donut? The glazed, glazed donut. Or a chocolate I would not, donut. I would, not, I would not. I don't like jelly donuts. I would not cast aspersions upon you for any of those things. Don't you like, don't like jelly donuts? I don't donuts, like jelly donuts. Do so. you like cream-filled donuts? I like the Boston cream. Yeah. No. The eclair? Look, I got no problem with any of your donut choices. <laughs> okay, thank you. No. If you had said, oh, I only like crawlers, crawlers. or something, maybe there would have been a problem. Uh, apparently, according to history, the first written recorded Evidence of the donut was from the famous author Washington Irving. He made reference in his History of New York book in 1809. He described balls of sweetened dough fried in hog's fat that were called donuts. Now, so apparently the first donut was just a ball. Was just a, right. a nut made of dough, which makes sense, yeah. really. The, the whole came along much later. So apparently it was just a ball of dough that they would they fry, fry it, it up. And then so it's pop- almost like a donut hole. Yeah. Right now, yes. What they the, have a called donut. The donut hole. hole probably came first before the donut hole. And they're like, we're wasting all this other dough around that we just popped out. So just, we might as well eat that. Make that the donut. <laughs> let's fry that shit up too. <laughs> Nothing can go wrong as long as we keep frying stuff. They rightly came to realize. So everyone, go out, get yourself a dozen donuts, grab yourself a redhead, and then blow some shit up. That's all. That's how you celebrate all the days worth celebrating on this holiday or holiday. <laughs> Holiday, if you're playing, then I'm 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 play
All right, as we get back to work here on a Monday, let's take a look at all the entertainment news with a segment I call the Showbiz Beat. On Mondays, we like to take a look at the top 10 movies at the box office to see what people went to see in theaters over the weekend. And by far the big winner this weekend was Freddie Mercury and the Bad Queen with Bohemian Rhapsody coming in at number one with $50 million at the box office this weekend. Damn. Yeah. Meanwhile, internationally, and I thought this might be the case because Queen was an international favorite when it came to rock bands around the world. The international box office for Bohemian Rhapsody was $72.5 million. Wow. So combined, uh, $122.5 million in its opening weekend for Bohemian Rhapsody. Venom territory there. Yeah. Second at the box office, The Nutcracker and the Four Realms, the uh, Disney interpretation of the classic Nutcracker suite for the holidays, $20 million, made it number two. Then Nobody's Fool came in at 14. Star is Born came in at number four with $11 million. At number five, Halloween still... Hanging in there with $11 million, made it number five. Venom, with $7.8 million, came in at number six. Then Smallfoot, Goosebumps 2, Haunted Halloween, Hunter Killer, again, worst goddamn (laughs) name for a movie in a long, long time, came in at number nine. And The Hate You Give, rounding out the top ten at the box office this weekend. Alec Baldwin was busy (laughs) over Uh, the weekend. He uh, punched a guy, allegedly, over a parking spot. Which I must say, um, and everyone's trying to make this political, whether, you know, which side of the uh, political aisle you sit. I think we can all identify a guy who's kind of an asshole. You I can, mean, he's been an asshole for a long time. You can be a liberal asshole. Right. I mean, you can be, you can be a conservative asshole. And I'm, a- not, I'm not the kind of liberal that would say, well, no, I'm not going to speak ill of this guy because we share some sort of uh, vague political affiliation. You know, we can vote the same way. He can still be an asshole. And he has been for a long time. He called his own daughter a uh, thoughtless little pig. pig right? And he's punched many paparazzo, and, and he has been a- acting out in inappropriate ways for a long, long time. He's been a notorious asshole <laughs> right. for a while. So the, so if you ask me, do I think he punched a guy over a parking spot? Absolutely. Absolutely. And do I think he's an asshole? Absolutely. Yeah. However, do I find his Trump funny on Saturday Night Live? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm capable of, of holding two diametrically opposed thoughts in my it's head at the same time. It's crazy how human beings are that complex. I know. It's ridiculous, but it can happen. Anyway, he apparently punched a guy in Greenwich Village over a parking spot. Now, he has come out since, once he got out of jail, he was arrested and said that it was not. He did not punch a guy over a parking spot. Now, keep in mind, he didn't say, I didn't punch yeah, a guy. just wasn't a he parking said, spot. He said, I didn't punch a guy over a parking spot. So I don't think we're done with this story yet. We'll find out <laughs> more details. But the guy went to the hospital, so I think he got a pretty good poke. Probably got sucker punched. Else. I doubt he saw it coming. And I think there's going to be, speaking of lawsuits, this oh, yeah. one's going in front of the board. And I think they're not going to say get the fuck out of here. Licorice deal. So you you can move forward with this one. (laughs) Speaking of money, J.J. Abrams is reportedly talking to several major Hollywood studios about an overall mega deal. For those who aren't that familiar with the inner workings, financial inner workings of show business, often if you are a creative type, you can go to a studio or now in these days a streaming service or. Geez, I'm, pretty much there's so many different yeah. different outlets for entertainment. You can go to a lot of different companies, but you can get what they call an overall deal, which means that you pr- you produce all of your content for one distributor. Um, for example, in the old days, it was Steven Spielberg's deal with Universal Studios, where he produced almost all of his films. You get like a six picture, seven picture, whatever. Right, and they give you a massive check yeah. at the top of that relationship to 
ensure your loyalty and your your connection to that studio. So J.J. Abrams is currently shopping around his uh, marketability to see if he can get a deal with a lucrative Hollywood studio. And apparently it's going quite well. And they're saying it could be a record-shattering deal by I, the yeah. end of the day. He's got episode nine coming out, so I'm sure he's probably... Well, that's that's exclusive. I mean, yeah. he, the, they own that property. But once so that's... His participation in that is is connected to Lucasfilm right. and to uh, 20th Century but after Fox, that, is, yeah. So uh, after that, but the, see, here's the thing. And this kind of deal has been struck before with names like uh, Spielberg and Lucas. Usually the big creative types get those kind of deals in place. James Cameron is famous for having one. But people are saying, in this particular case, it may be the first time, and certainly a reflection of entertainment in our time, that this is a person who hasn't generated their own wildly successful franchise. His record, his body of work, his his box office record is almost almost exclusively taking other people's properties yeah. and rebooting Star them. Star Trek, Star Wars. He's the reboot yeah. king. Which, when you think about how Hollywood works right now, that's what it's all about, yeah. right? I mean, Spielberg created the Indiana Jones franchise, Jaws. You know, Lucas yeah. created Star Wars. You saw why these guys got got these deals. Because Cameron with Terminator and an Avatar. You know, these were guys who were creating tentpole franchises that a studio could hang their hat on. This guy, all he's really done is is brought to life kind of stale old franchises that needed a, yeah, a new coat of that's paint. That's what everybody's really. doing. He's like, hey, take our library and uh, jazz it up. So I guess that's what you do. If you're, if you're a studio that has an existing properties that you want to freshen up and reboot, that's why you give that guy that deal and put him in the head of those, right? Yeah. yeah. And speaking of high-powered Hollywood players, I want to be friends with these guys. Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman went at each other over the weekend. Hugh Jackman is the star of a brand new movie called The Front Runner in which he portrays one-time presidential candidate Gary Hart. Gary Hart at one time, if you don't remember this, uh, boys and girls, it was a while ago, he was the golden boy of the Repu- of the Democratic, Democratic Party. Party. Yeah. And he was almost a shoe-in to be certainly the Democratic nominee, presidential if nominee. Not president, right. yeah. And then there was a the whole thing. He had an affair with this. Uh, <laughs> he did what Trump does on a weekend. It's crazy. And it ruined his entire career. When you look back and see how politicians were brought down by minor infractions <laughs> that now are considered so Howard the Dean norm. let out a high-pitched squeal, and it, yeah. ruined his, and it ruined his career. Yeah. It's insane. Uh, anyway, so uh, Jackman plays Gary Hart in this film, The Front Runner, and it's getting a lot of great notices. People are talking about perhaps some awards when it comes to Hugh Jackman. And so Ryan Reynolds... In the spirit of the upcoming elections tomorrow, by the way, everyone go vote tomorrow please, on Tuesday. Please go vote. Um, in the spirit of that, he wrote a a, a uh, anti Hugh Jackman campaign ad because he also <laughs> wants to be considered for acting awards for his work in Deadpool too. And he put the ad out over the weekend. It was so very funny. I thought it was great. Here's a little taste of it. Hugh Jackman's upcoming performance in The Front Runner has fooled some people into thinking he deserves an award. But before voting begins, some people should consider these facts. Hugh Jackman isn't his real name. It's Hugh Michael Jackman. Hugh Michael speaks with a charming accent, but he's actually from Milwaukee. He then walked off the job on Wolverine, adding to unemployment. Is this the type of amazing actor and nice person we want delivering a preachy liberal speech this award season? Or maybe there's a real foreigner from a bordering country who would really love it a lot. 
think before you vote, but definitely see the front runner. I'm not Ryan Reynolds, and I approve this message. <laughs> I'm not Ryan Reynolds, and I approve this message. It's awesome. Uh, as a, a quick response, about three hours later, Hugh Jackman was seen with a short video clip that he posted on his social media, uh, walking his dog and his dog taking a dump, and then uh, Hugh Jackman cleaned up the dog shit with a photo of Ryan Reynolds. So these two continue to go back and forth. They just seemed like, I want to hang out with those guys. I wish they make a Deadpool Wolverine movie. I know. Well, they did. Like, that, I mean, a good with, one. Not with Deadpool. A good a Deadpool, an actual Deadpool. Yeah, but uh, it was. I think that's where they became friends, yeah, right? On that but, one. Man. I mean, not, not so his mouth shut, is that what you're yeah, saying? Like, yeah, make him Deadpool. Mm. Take a look at today's celebrity birthdays. All these stars born on November 5th. Singer Art Garfunkel is 77 years old today. He, of course, half of the legendary 60s band Simon and Garfunkel, but also really one of the great singers in his own right. I mean, he always gets associated with Paul Simon because they worked together so closely. And Simon's solo career obviously eclipsed Art Garfunkel's, but his voice still clear as a bell, sings like an angel. Just go back and listen to Bridge Over Trouble Waters if you want to hear one of the great voices of the 60s. I'm on your side. I would give a lot of money to be able to sing like that just once. I can't even comprehend. Just once. Just be able to open my mouth and have that sound come out. It'd be ridiculous. <laughs> Actor Robert Patrick, the T-1000, and of course, uh, star of X-Files and Scorpion. He is 60 years old today. Actress Tilda Swinton celebrates her 58th birthday today. Actress and singer Andrea McArdle is 55 years old today. You may not know that name, but she was on Broadway the original actress to play this role. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. Just thinking about tomorrow clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow till there's none. Broadway's original Annie. Most famous redheads of all time. That's right. On this uh, redhead day, Andrea McArdle, she's a real redhead too, 55, and she's from Philadelphia, and we're roughly the same age, and everybody who was sort of a, uh, a theater nerd, like a lot of us were, when that happened, when she got the lead role on Annie on Broadway and became a star, we're like, somebody from Philadelphia is famous, we can all do it. It was all uh, It's all downhill since then. Speaking of uh, child actors, Tatum O'Neill is 55 years old today as well. Guitarist and keyboardist Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead is 47 years old today. But I'm a creep. Judy 
Judy Reyes from Scrubs is 51. Sam Rockwell, one of my favorite actors, is 50 years old today. Did you see three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri? No, I didn't. Eddie, do do what's right. Go back and find it somehow and watch it. I'm telling you, it's a goddamn miracle. And just in terms, if you're an acting fan and you like great acting, across the board, everybody does great work. But Sam Rockwell in that particular He was great in that uh, gong show, the gong show movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. God, that was (laughs) so The story of Chuck Barris. Yeah, Yeah. so good. He's great in everything. He is 50 years old today. Singer Brian Adams is 59 years old today. Now, this is the Canadian one with all the hits. Not to be confused with Ryan Adams, who doesn't help things at all, is also celebrating a birthday today. Oh, really? He's 44, (laughs) yes. So Brian Adams, who's often confused with Ryan Adams, is 59, and Ryan Adams is 44. But my favorite one is the Brian Canadian one. Now it cuts like a knife But it feels so right Yeah, it like a knife Oh, but it feels so right Luke Hemsworth of the acting Hemsworth brothers is 38 years old today. How many goddamn Hemsworths there seems are there? Like there's a, a bald, the new bald ones. There's Chris, there's Liam, there's Luke. The new bald and ones. they all look like goddamn genetic experiments. They're all fours. They were all born in a lab someplace. They look ridiculous. They're all handsome and strapping. What the fuck? So they're not like the bald <laughs> What an embarrassment. Why can't they spread that around? Why do they hoard it all in one family? Well, let's see what the parents look like. Oh, they it's must be test tubes, Nordic right? gods, right? <laughs> 38 years old. He's on Westworld. He's 38. Uh, Kevin Jonas of the Jonas Brothers is 31 years old today. And singer Peter Noon, who was the lead singer of a legendary 60s band called Herman's Hermits, who really just got ignored. I mean, they were white hot in the 60s. You don't really hear a lot about him anymore. He is 71 years old today. But a great band with a great body of work. So here's a little salute to Peter Noon of Herman's Hermits. Woke up this morning feeling fine. Exactly. It's a great tune, but every time I hear it, I always think of that film. <laughs> anyway, I'm Ralph Garman, and I walk the showbiz beat. All right, coming up later in the show is my interview with Maurice LaMarche, one of the truly great voiceover actors of our generation. If you're a fan of Animaniacs and you know Pinky and the Brain, we talked to Pinky not too long ago, Rob Paulson. Today, we talked to the Brain, Mr. Maurice LaMarche. Great interview with him coming up in just a few minutes. But recently, uh, during the showbiz news, it seems like we've been getting lucky and having musical birthdays of a lot of guys associated with bands that have created some of the greatest stripper music in history. <laughs> and every time we play some of the music, I go, what would we do without that band? The strippers would have nothing to dance Death to. Def Leppard, Poison. And I've got a lot of people writing in talking about their favorite stripper songs. <laughs> and I thought it'd be fun today to go back and take a look. I'm just going to, this is just my opinion. How do you know what's good for me? That's my opinion! This is, not, I'm not saying this is the, the quintessential list. But I thought I'd give you my top 10 all-time Hall of Fame stripper songs, top to bottom. This is in specific order. This is in order from least to best. Now, you may notice a lot of them are sort of classic songs from the 80s and 90s. You have to remember, that's pretty much my prime stripper club days. A lot of hair metal. 
I don't go to a lot of strip clubs anymore. I would like to, but I'm a little busy. But during the 80s and 90s, I spent a ton of time and a ridiculous amount of money in strip clubs. Were you a big strip club guy? I've been to a couple in at, in DC when yeah. I was growing when I was in high school. You don't school. strike me as I a wasn't. strip club. When I got guy. to LA, no, I was kind of past that yeah, point. Yeah, I was not past that point. <laughs> I was very indulgent at that point and Vegas and Pretty much every city I went to, for the better part of my young adulthood, I would check yeah. out the strip clubs. And these songs always left an important imprint on my mind and often my penis. <laughs> and so I wanted to play for you my favorites. These are, this is my top 10 stripper songs of all time, starting with this one. Now, this may not be even a popular song that many people remember anymore, but back in the day, there was a uh, Scottish singer-actress named Sheena Easton. Oh, yeah, I love Sheena And she was very uh, wholesome at the beginning of her career, and then she went on to a very sexy side. And she had this particular song that was, I remember this distinctly, being a favorite amongst many strippers that I would spend some time with in the clubs. It was called Strut. of that song is that it was really about men making women strut <laughs> away right no no strut how men always wanted women to put on lingerie and strut, oh, strut and around. pout and like show off their bodies and it was a very feminist song about not doing that and yet it was used all the time by Strip. strippers who were doing exactly what the song was saying not to that do. That was during the big wet hair phase, wasn't it? Like everyone had like wet looking hair. Very much so, yeah. yes. That was like 84, yeah. I think that song came out. But Sheena Easton was white hot and that's so hot. a great rhythm for strippers to work the pole on that one. <laughs> As was this one. I think this is another 80s song that was just quintessential stripper music. I Want Your Sex by George Michael at number nine. Boy, a lot of girls made a lot of money to that song back in the day. This is probably the most modern song on the list, but uh, I tell you, every time I go to a strip club, even now, eventually this will pop up. It's getting hot in here, so, so take off all your clothes. I am getting so hot, uh, I want to uh, take my uh, clothes uh, off. Oh, it's getting hot in here, so, so take off all your clothes. I am getting so hot. Some stripper songs are very literal when it comes to what's actually <laughs> happening on stage in conjunction with the lyrics of the song, and so that certainly them, is one. So it makes them a great stripper song. It, sometimes. Sometimes it's it's like like in Strut's case, they, it's going against really what's happening on stage, and sometimes it's literally like a play-by-play description, like <laughs> Nelly's It's Getting Hot in Here. Uh, this one also by the Pussycat Dolls also really just couldn't be more on the money when it comes to what guys were thinking about the strippers that were on stage in front of them. Don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? Don't you wish your girlfriend was a freak like me? Don't you? Yes. That's what men are thinking. Yes. The whole point of the strip club. Yes. Right. I wish my girlfriend was as hot as you and she was a freak like you. That's exactly what I'm thinking. That's why I'm here. 
Then periodically, uh, a stripper would do a set, maybe two or three songs, and she would close out with that sort of erotic song for the big money maker at the end when she was collecting all the tips. But maybe she would come out in like a little costume and with some real high up-tempo music so she could really swing on that pole and impress everybody with her, uh, her skills, her athletic skills. And if she came out in like a skirt and a blouse and maybe her hair up with some horn rim glasses <laughs> you on. spent a lot of time at strip clubs. I did. I spent a lot Jesus of time at strip clubs. Uh, maybe she'd come out with like a, uh, like a, uh, a ruler or even better yet, a yardstick that she'd slap your ass with I've if you got out of line. I've never seen you so excited about oh, a subject before in my Man, life. then uh, this is usually the song she came out to. I think of all the the video just literally a hot teacher stripping yes if i can remember that video correctly and that's why if you see pretty it much what it coming is. to life in front of your eyes you <laughs> empty your wallet onto the stage it was very wise of a girl to play to that song uh, of course poison we mentioned last week was one of the quintessential stripper bands you just can't have strippers without poison Right? Uh, how about ACDC? Oh, yeah. You shook me all night long? If there is a uh, Mount Rushmore of stripper bands, I would have to say this band is also up there along with Poison. That was always a great song for a girl to come out and actually pour something on herself while she was dancing. Hopefully not sugar. No, it didn't have to be sugar. Could, <laughs> but if it was bad. honey or syrup, oh, honey. something like that, something like Maybe. slow moving and really thick Baby and oil. viscous, some something viscous, viscous. <laughs> some sort of oily substance. Oh, man. Just so much money was made. <laughs> now, at number one and number two, we've been through the top eight so far. Number one, number two, I have to say I was torn. I went back and forth and back and forth. Number two is what most people would consider the number one stripper song of all time. For me, it's a little bit too on the nose. It's a little bit uh, too uh, identifiable with the stripping world. It literally names strip clubs in its lyrics. Oh, I know. It is Girls, Girls, Girls by Motley Crue. Been there. In there. Girls, girls, girls. 
definitely been there. Seventh Vale here in Los Angeles. I'm been like, there a, the whole I'm like it's time. three iron from the Seventh Vale. That's about, how, really? that's about how close I am to the Seventh Vale. Oh, yeah. and you're just wasting, <laughs> just wasting, just wasting <laughs> that proximity by just not doing nothing. <laughs> Ugh, Eddie Pence. Uh, sorry. Uh, number one for me was was a sleeper. It was a dark horse. It's always been one of my personal favorites, and I was debating between one and two how to go back and forth until I got a phone call from a member of the Garmy who really pushed it over the edge for me. I want you to listen to this call that we got on the uh, on the Ralph Report hotline. One eight three three. Hi, Ralph. <laughs> hey, Ralph and Eddie. This is Luke from Bumfuck Alaska calling again. This time, um, I'm listening to the show, and you're talking about the three quintessential bands for strippers to dance to. And you were absolutely 100% correct on those three, but there actually is a fourth that you completely neglected. Warrant. You can't have strippers without cherry pie. I think... He's right. Yeah. That is the best stripper song. That is a great song. Because it's not quite as on the nose as Girls, Girls, Girls. It doesn't really talk about strippers. It talks about this girl. And if you remember that video, remember her name was Bobby Brown. She was the she was the model actress in that video. And man, come yeah. on. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, <laughs> that is the number one top ten stripper song of all time. My Hall of Fame, if you will. And as you can tell. I, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. <laughs> I'm like J.K. Simmons in that farmer's insurance thing. And those are my top picks. And now it's time. Oh, I feel bad for Maurice. He's a, he's a, he's a talented guy who's got a legitimate serious career. And here I am putting him right up against the stripper song. <laughs> top 10 list for stripper songs. <laughs> but he is a great guy. We had a great interview. I'm going to play my interview with him all week long. So here's the first chapter of my interview with Mr. Maurice LaMarche. One of the best parts of this show for me is getting a chance to talk to people that I'm a huge fan of. And today is certainly one of those days. Mr. Maurice LaMarche is with me today. You're too kind, Ralph. Thank you. You are easily one of my favorite voiceover performers. because Thank you very much. We share in common. I'm not in your league, and I I don't mean to put myself there. There's no leagues. There is a league. There's no leagues. Unless we're going bowling, there's no leagues. You're a giant. You're a working voice actor. I'm a working voice actor. I love your work on the Seth shows. And God bless you. I've been lucky to be on a couple, but we've never been in studio together. No, and no one ever is anymore. Gone are the days where you get to work with people. I know. I mean, you you go up to that in that building on Century City and they, he's got that booth and actually it's a fantastic way to work because they go off and they write and they get an, an idea and you know Seth can just run into the booth and, and, and redo it instead of book it can you give me a, an hour at LA Studios or whatever it's like right, just yeah. go do it you yeah. know it's really great but I love a full cast record, so I don't know that we'll ever get in the booth again. But hopefully, we've, we'll be on some episodes together. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, absolutely. I recently had your uh, partner in crime, Rob Paulson, on my show as well. Yes, he speaks very highly of you. Is it a crime to take over the world? Not if you do it benevolently, my friend. Yes, and that's all <laughs> Pinky in the brain ever wanted. Yeah, no, he's he's the best. He's a great guy, yes. and he speaks very highly of you. And I was raving about 
you to him. And he said, why don't you just reach out and have him come on the show? And I was like, I wouldn't dare. I'd be, I'd be too nervous to meet a man of his stature. Oh so my gosh. This is a real pleasure. Well, no, this is, it is for me. And you know, stature be, be, be damned. I'm just, I just look at myself as lucky to be working. Yeah. You know, especially with all the effing up I've done in my life. You know, <laughs> the fact that anybody gives me a job and, 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 and puts me in front of a microphone to, to make the funny voices. I'm just, I count myself very lucky. I feel a little connection with you also because you come from a background initially of doing impersonations and uh, celebrity yes. impersonations. Yes. And I dabble in that as well. Again, not your equal, but that's how the whole thing started for you, right? Back in Canada. I was, I was, I was a mimic, a stand up, an impressionist. Um, I started out in a place called Yuck Yucks Comedy Club, which was the very first comedy club ever of Canada. Um, and um, I was uh, sort of the house impressionist. Uh, well, let's go back to your childhood first. Okay, we get there. let's the, go back there. Timmins, Ontario. Is that well, correct? that's now you've done your research. I've done my that's research. Quite yes. amazing. I was born in Toronto and immediately moved to Timmins because my father got a job uh, at the TV station there. Oh. My father was a very good-looking fellow and had a deep, mellifluous voice. And uh, yeah, he was he was the um, he was there, the uh, the, the weatherman, uh, wow. and and he did some some of the newscasting there. So yeah, Timmins, Ontario, is one of the coldest places you've you'll <laughs> ever be. I mean, they literally don't bury people until May. Wow! Like if you die, you can't get Timmins, through the permafrost. You can't. You can't. There's just no way they, they just leave you above ground, well preserved in your in your <laughs> coffin. They slide you into a mausoleum and then bring you out and bury you in May. Wow. Um, so. Uh, it's uh, yeah. It was uh, I. My only memories of Timmins are of this snowsuit that I couldn't move my arms, and just walking <laughs> like like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man outside. Uh, and then and it's like then we, that scene in Christmas Story, right, where yeah. uh, Randy falls down. He's right. like a turtle. He can't right. get back exactly. up. Exactly. It was that. And then um, and then we moved to Ottawa because my father got a better job offer at the CBC station there, um, CBC meet standing for Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, and his two. Uh, in studio compatriots were Alex Trebek and Peter Jennings. Wow. They all started out together. And of course, Alex and Peter carried broadcasting forward. And my father just felt he didn't have the patience for it or didn't feel he had the talent. But he would do everything they did backwards and in high heels and in French. <laughs> um, so they would do this, this 6 to 6.30 broadcast in, on the English station, uh, you know, news and sports and weather. And then they'd step out. My father would step into the same uh, set and do the entire show in French and it would go out on the French signal. Wow. Yeah. But it was just not something my father felt moved to continue doing. So, um, you know, he went, he became every manner of salesman, a wonderful, uh, wonderful gift of gab and persuader. And, mm. uh, and he got into the stock market and, you know, it's, the rest is history, but he was the most supportive that, uh, I think I've got the most supportive parent of any story I've ever heard in show business. Everybody else has got that story of your father, you know, your father going, oh, make sure you have something to fall back yeah, on. Make a but living like, kid. Uh, have a plan B. And my father said, you know, if you have a plan B, you'll use it. Cause I did. Yeah. He said, so if you want to, if you want this son, you've got to go for it with all you've got, but I'll support you. I'll cheer you on. And I think you've got the goods. So I was like, 
especially for a non-Hollywood family, you know, for a Canadian dad to say that to his kid. Yeah, but Jim he had Car- some, Jim Carrey's dad business. had the same thing though. He Jim, had some show business experience, so he I think you realized. He did indeed. Yeah. And I say I say that, and I don't want to dishonor Mr. Carrey because I remember when Jim first came along and Jim's first night at Yuck Yucks. Um, you know, the, the club had only been opened a few months, and and Jim came on and he he tells the story of having a bad set. I don't remember it being a bad set. It wasn't a killer set, but boy, he had some some impressions that were just amazing. I mean, who does Bruce Dern for crying out loud? Right. So and Jim was 15, and uh, and and he felt. I remember him walking away, and his dad had his arm around him, and the, these two six foot. Two guys, you know, the young one, young one, an older version of him, loping along, and they just looked so despondent. I went running up, and and I, and you know, Jim tells the story, and, and he says they came after me. I'm the they. <laughs> I went up to him and I said, "Man, you got to come back. Don't don't let it get you down. You did great up there. Just nobody has a killer first night. Come back." And so he did, and you know, I I, I hear he's done well. You should get a little piece of the action. Yeah, I think, I, think I should of... get a little taste. <laughs> Just a little fucking taste, you know. <laughs> but you know, uh, look, God bless him. He, you know, he's he's uh, he's an amazing talent, and and Mr. Carey, I never ever did call him by his first name. It's such that I I actually can't remember his name. But Mr. Carey was there for every show. I just remember oh, that's thinking awesome. that was just phenomenal. You know, how old were you when you knew performing was something that you wanted to do? You mentioned Carrie was 15. Were you in your teens when it hit you? Well, I, did, Even I, I always wanted to perform and was a, you know, was a shtickmeister. Class in clown. school, class clown, school fool. I was, you know, I just, I, but I didn't see it as a realistic thing to make a, a living from it. Mm. There used to be a show called The Little People that a guy named uh, Jack Barry, who was, who, who got a lot of trouble here for um, fixing a game show. Oh, and, right. Yeah. So he went up to Canada. And of course, we just thought he was Canada's own Jack Barry. You know, we were, but he had a show called The Little People. It was just, it was his sort of take on uh, Kids Will Say the Darndest Things. It was a panel show. And I remember being in like the fourth grade or the fifth grade and auditioning for it and and they thought I was a natural and I even did a few little kid voices then and it got canceled just the week before uh, my date I'd gotten a date to do it and wow. canceled the show and my little brother had appeared on it as a kid with a problem that the other panelists are supposed to help him solve. And, and, and I remember being so jealous that my brother Paul had gotten on the show and I hadn't because <laughs> I thought that was my shot my brother took my shot. <laughs> There'd never be another opportunity. I showed him. More with Maurice this week, including how he got out of stand-up comedy and into the voiceover acting biz and the tragedies that affected his life in a big way. It's a fascinating life story as well as a great story about a guy who's now an Emmy award-winning voiceover artist with his work in Futurama and uh, Pinky in the Brain, as we mentioned. We'll get into all of his roles Later on this week, it's terrific. Tomorrow is Tuesday. We're going to talk about Movember. Are you familiar with Movember? It's where you grow a mustache, right? It is. It's a charity fundraising event that raises money for men's health issues. So we'll be talking to one of the uh, members of the Garmy who actually participates in that. Of course, all the entertainment news as well. As I mentioned, more with Maurice. It's going to be a great show, but it's not as great if you're not there. So come back and join us because I love you and I mean it. Bye. <laughs>